tonight starts uh, one out of three of the messages this semester that focus on Christian essentials. Things that are uh, essential to walking with Christ. And, and not like just college ministry Christian essentials, right? Not just things that are essential for your stage of life, wherever you might be. But these are essentials to anybody who has a life with Christ. Uh, these three messages are dedicated to what we call like our second C of our group, right? Centered, committed, confident. These messages this semester would be uh, dedicated to um, what it means to be committed to discipleship. And this particular semester, they're going to be focused on what it means for personal discipleship. Personal discipleship. Those topics are prayer, sanctification, and tonight's topic is, is fellowship, or, or what we like to call gathering, right? The gathering of the saints. That's tonight's message. The question is, why do we gather together? Like, why did you come here on a Thursday night in negative seven degree weather to be together? Why do you show up on a Sunday morning, if your church meets on Sundays, why do, why do you show up there on a Sunday morning to worship besides the fact that that's just how church goes in America? What is, what is your purpose in that? Um, why is it important? Why should we care about it? And how should we go about thinking about it? And how should we go about prioritizing it? This is what we're discussing. We're going to be jumping a little bit around in Scripture tonight. So let me pray for us and, and we'll get at it. Lord, thank you so much that we get to be in your word again. That we get to um, see what you might have for us. Lord, I know I'm preaching to the choir in many ways. I know that the, the people here are committed people who want to gather, Lord. I pray that you would still convict us with your spirit, Lord, in ways that we uh, have been sinful in our thinking of gathering, ways that we could improve, ways that we can encourage others to do it. Lord, I pray that as we see these in your scriptures tonight, that these would just be things that instill a deeper belief, Lord, that help us not only um, communicate to our friends why we do it, communicate to ourselves why we do it, but even... I'm thinking of future families, Lord, that they would be a way uh, of understanding why it's so important for our future children, our future spouses to come alongside this as well. Lord, uh, do what only you can do through your word. Speak like only you can speak and use your spirit like only you can, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right. Like I said, we're going to get right into it. Here's the first point that we're covering tonight. Why do we gather? Simple. Because God commanded it. Now, we, are, we are going to start with a really simple one that I, I don't think is going to take much explaining because that is easy and simple. God commands it. We do it. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, right? I figured, hey, we're going to be in that series next week. We might as well get a head start there. Um, instead of Hebrews 11 tonight, though, we're going to be going just one chapter earlier, and we're going to be... In Hebrews 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to get your eyes on it, it's going to be verse 19. And I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. So Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing. 
So I should be clear, uh, this is not the only passage in Scripture that, that commands like the people of God to gather. In fact, like, there's some that are even more explicit in doing so than, than this passage. There's plenty of Scripture to that, and there's plenty of examples in Scripture as well of the church gathering together. Like you open up the book of Acts and you can see how often the, the church gathered together. But I, I chose this passage tonight because of the, the language surrounding it, because of some of the, the you know, quote-unquote tent posts that it puts up that we'll be able to, to look at. That's why I chose this command. And let's be clear, this is a command. Verse 19, if you're looking at it, starts with a therefore. Therefore, you know, the, the, the saying is, you should see what the therefore is there for. Um, therefore, meaning because of everything I have said, here's what you should do. That's what the, the author of Hebrews is saying. Because of everything that I just stated, here's your course of action now. That's what it says in verse 19. And then in verses 22, 23, and 24 are all commands. Actions. Actions that must be taken if the previous statement that he made is true. Which, it's the word of God, so it's, it's true. So because it's true, here's what you need to do. You can see that command in 22, that command in 23, and tonight... We're just focusing on that third command. That third command, let us, that's how the command starts, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good work. So that's the command and intrinsically tied with this idea for the author of Hebrews. Intrinsically tied with this idea is the, the thought that um, to, to stir one another in love and good works means to gather together. Which is why he's clear in the statement, stirring up one another to do love and good works means not neglecting your fellowship. It means not neglecting the gathering of believers, the, the fellowship of Christians. Now the part of, of love and good works, like that sentence right there, we're actually going to come back to that at the end of the message. Just set that aside for a moment. But for now, uh, you just needed to see that the, the simplest of reasons as to why we gather is the fact that God has commanded it to those that believe. And if you want more evidence than that, come talk to me. I'd be glad to walk you through some other scriptures that say that. I'd, I'd be glad to give you some more verses. But at the end of the day, as Christians, as, as disciples of Christ, as children of God, um, his command should be enough for us. I shouldn't have to argue with you. I shouldn't have to try to sit here and convince you, right? I open up the word and I say, thus says the Lord, because the Lord is the one that says it. He says to meet and gather and for any of us, that should be good enough. But we have a gracious God, and we have a loving God that not only tells us what we need to do, but he shows us his heart and why he wants us to do it. He explains those things so often for us for no reason other than he's gracious and kind to do so, so that we may understand him and we may know him more. And that's what his word does, allows us to know him more. So, yes, God says it, and we'll, we do it, but, but praise God that he's gracious and loving enough to show us a few other reasons as to why, and, and that's what we're going to be looking at now. So not only are we uh, to gather because God commands it, but here's the second point. We gather because God intended it. Like God intended for us to gather from the very beginning of time. God has intended that we would be in fellowship. Let's go ahead. We're going to look at two scriptures. This will be our biggest point for the night, right? Like, we're going to look at two scriptures together. And the first one we find is in Genesis 2. You can turn there if you like. I'm also going to read it out. We're just going to be looking at one verse tonight. But Genesis 2, chapter 18, you can turn there. Um, you're more than welcome, like I said, if you'd like to. I'm going to read it as well. You're, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the, the creation narrative. Right? Adam 
Eve, creation of the world. God creates the world. He creates everything in it. He creates man. And then comes this verse in Genesis 2.18 that says, Then the Lord God said, so God is the one saying this, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So what do we see here? We see that man needed fellowship. Man needed company. Just to live life and to fulfill the most essential and basic of all of God's commands, right? To tend the garden, to, to be a part of the earth and have dominion over it, to, to be with God. Like just to fulfill those things in his life, Adam needed fellowship. Now, before, before this moment, uh, before Eve was created, it was, let's just think about it. It was, it was Adam, it was the animals, and it was God. And we know that because there's part of the story where Adam is like naming all the animals, right? He names all the animals as God puts them before him. So I want to ask you this question. If, it, if it's just Adam and God and the animals, uh, was God not good enough for Adam? Was God not good enough for Adam that Adam needed someone else besides God, the creator of heaven and earth? It's a tricky question, right? Because, of course, like God is all sufficient. We, we know that. We see that in scripture. He, God is never not enough for anyone or anything. But yet, when you look at the facts, like Adam's companion was God. And yet it says that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. Like he needed another companion he needed something else so what does this mean if we know that God's all-sufficient and yet Adam needed more what does that mean for us it means that that Adam desired fellowship because God intended for him to desire it like God wasn't surprised that Adam needed it God created Adam knowing that he was going to create Eve God instilled it in Adam to desire an Eve, instilled it in Adam to desire fellowship. God wasn't lacking. He didn't fail to be enough for Adam. He simply created Adam with the design of being in fellowship with other humans, and in this particular case, Eve. So what we can see from this is from the first creation, from first creation, we are designed for fellowship. That's intended if Adam, the father of all men, was created and designed to desire fellowship, then so are we. But that's not just the, the only example in Scripture. I mean, there's plenty, but I do want to go to one more that we're all going to look at together. So go ahead and turn to, to 1 Peter chapter 2. This is a, a bigger chunk of Scripture that I'd like to, to show you. And I want to show you how it relates to Adam as well. So 1 Peter chapter 2 with me, if you could. It is uh, actually... Just right after the, the book of Hebrews, so it's not too far away. Let me read the first five verses. First Peter chapter 2 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. So we see here Peter's in the middle of a discourse as to how we should be Christians. And he says, Like newborn infants, in verse 2 there, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed... You have tasted that the Lord is good. So if, you, if indeed you are truly saved. As you come to him, verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 
So in verses 1 and 2, we see Peter telling the people of God uh, what it takes to, to grow up into their salvation. Right? We call that maturity, like what it means to become a mature Christian. Christian. They, they've been saved. They believe the truth of the gospel. So now what? Well, he tells them, like, long for the pure milk, which we see he connects it in the next verse, like long for Jesus, right? Long for the pure spiritual milk, like the basics, right? Long for Jesus. Look back at it because then he just transitions right there and says, as you come to him. So long for Jesus. Oh, and verse 4, as you come to him. So as you come to Jesus, who is rejected by men, but is chosen and the precious one of God. As you come to him, verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, by the way, are being built into a spiritual house. So as you come to him, you together are being built into something that is greater than yourself. Like Notice how Peter doesn't call each one of the believers, each one of you. Notice how Peter doesn't call each one of you a house. He doesn't call you a house. You're not able to stand on your own. You're not able to provide warmth and protection from the elements. Like He doesn't call every single one of us a house, but rather he calls them and us a stone, a brick, just a building block of a house. A brick alone can't keep you warm. Right? You, you, you can't walk out there right now in negative seven degree weather holding a brick and be like, yeah, I have all that I need to stay warm tonight. Like, it's not able to provide that for you. Now, a mass of bricks could be built into a shelter to protect you and keep you warm from the elements, but a brick alone cannot do that. And he doesn't just call uh, those who believe bricks. Right? He goes on, he refers to us as a priesthood. Like a, a priesthood is a group of people who collectively serve God. He could have chosen the word. They are separate words. He could have chosen the word priests, right? Saying that each one of us is priests, which is true. We see that in scripture. But he purposely chooses to say priesthood, meaning a gathering of priests that together have a singular purpose that have a unity and then he goes on right after that if you're still looking at verse 5 he goes right on and and says that there is a purpose for that gathering for that togetherness our togetherness our gathering our being together is what allows us to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus so just to order that right like Jesus is actually the one that lets us offer worship to God like Jesus is the high priest we're going to see that in Hebrews like Jesus is the high priest like he is the hinge that allows us to worship God but what he's saying is that we have a purpose of gathering together to offer that worship through Jesus right that we are meant to do it together to offer that worship worship through Jesus that is spiritual and acceptable to God is worship that is done in unity and fellowship. When Peter is giving a command on how to grow into maturity as a Christian, when he's giving this command on what it means to become mature in your walk with Christ, he can't help but include the fact that maturity in Christ has to be done as a people, not just a person. 
And verse 9 supports this as well. Like you're like, all right, I think I'm following Cody. Well, look at verse 9. He repeats it again. He says, you are a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So you are a chosen race, not a chosen person. You are a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. You are a holy nation, not a holy citizen. You are a people for his own possession, not a person for his own possession. And all of this, all of this has the purpose of coming together that we would proclaim the excellencies of God, the God who saved us. The purpose is that we, as a collective people, would worship and preach the excellencies of God. So beginning, this is how it ties in with Adam. It's not only from the first creation that we are designed for fellowship, It's from our new creation that we're designed for fellowship as well. It's not only intrinsic in the life of every man and mankind. It's intrinsic in the life of someone who is a new creation. Like when you put your faith in Christ, when you became a new person, a new creation, uh, you had a a new purpose in life. And, And that purpose that you have in life is to be filled, fulfilled together, not separate. Like a Christian, a Christian that is forsaking fellowship, forsaking unity, forsaking gathering, cannot fulfill the purposes that God has set them in. Communion is done together. Baptism is done in community. Worship is done together. Even the Great Commission, we talk about that all the time, right? To go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that, I, that uh, you have observed, all that I have commanded you. Like Even that is not to be done as individuals, that individuals would be reached, but it's so that churches, whole groups of people would come together, that churches would be planted, that nations and tribes, right? It doesn't say people of tribes. It says tribes would come to know him. The purposes of God are far greater than just the individual. We've said it before and we'll say it again. I'll say it now. Your holiness, your holiness is not an individual sport. It's not like an individual 800 meter race where it's, it's just on you. It's, it's, it's a team sport like baseball or, or football. Like, like when a team wins, when they get the W... The win and the glory goes to the whole team, not just an individual. Holiness is the same way. It's meant to be done together. And the, and the reason that I need to emphasize this, the, the reason that I need to talk about why it's good to be together and, and not alone is because we live in a culture that is anything but corporate. We live in a highly individualized culture. And, and I'm not just talking about the secular culture that could be a whole nother message for another day right i'm not talking about secular culture tonight i'm talking about our church culture we treat the church as if each one of us individually is the prize bride of christ when the truth is the church collectively is the prize bride of christ and to try to separate yourself from the bride of christ in order to be your own little bride Right? And to try to separate yourself is actually to abandon the bride and to abuse her. Because we're meant to be together in that. And many of us, if not all of us, at times are guilty of this. All of us 
All right, and I want to give you a few ways. I just wanted to go through and list some of the ways that maybe you can be thinking about how, like, okay, well, is that me? Like, do I treat my faith more individually than I, than I do corporately? Like, do I value individualism rather than fellowship? I just want to list a few symptoms. These aren't all of them, but these are ones that I know I've struggled with, and these are ones as a pastor that I see people struggle with all the time. So here's some symptoms that you can write down if this is you, okay? If you struggle with making the church an individual thing versus a, a fellowship thing or a gathering thing, then church is an event for you. Like you, listen, you can, you can attend church every single Sunday. You can come to college men every single Thursday for the entire year. You could go to literally every single gathering your church has in the entire calendar year, and you could still be treating fellowship like an individual rather than a gathering of believers. Like, let that sink in. I'm, a, I'm just going to repeat it. Really think about it. If, is this something you do? You could go to every single gathering your church has and still be treating your faith individually rather than corporately. So what's the difference? How do, how do you define that? Well, the difference is, is the end goal. So someone that, that treats the church as an individual, they, they give as an individual and they receive as an individual. And, and that's really all that they do. They come, they receive what is happening, and they leave. In today's world, we call them consumers. They are consuming a product, and the product happens to be the church. Now, I want to be clear, like sometimes it might look like they're, they're giving back, right? They, they may even serve. They might serve in the parking lot. They might serve in the worship ministry. They could serve in the kids' ministry. But the reason they're serving is because they're checking something off the list. Because actually, they're hoping to get something better out of the church by giving what they feel like they need to give. It's part of their consuming. Like Think of it like this. Like If you, um, you purchase a new bike or some other hobby that requires equipment. Anybody... Uh, Raise, show of hands, you have some kind of hobby or passion that requires you to buy some kind of equipment to partake in it, like running shoes, bike, video game, something, right? Okay, so I think you guys resonate with this. It's like when you purchase that new item, like let's, let's go with the bike. You are a consumer hoping to receive something from that bike, right? But sure, you might actually give back to that bike sometimes. Right? You might change its tires, you might lube the chain, you might wash the frame. Those are all things that appear like you're giving to that bike, but why are you doing it? You're doing it because at the end of the day, that's going to give you a better product. That's going to sustain that product for the future. That's going to allow you to get more use out of that product. And that's what it means to be a consumer of the church and to serve in the church, but really to only do it because you think you should or because it's going to make your church life better. It's going to make your church experience better. It's going to give you a better satisfaction with what your church is like. It's going to give you a better product. That's how an individual treats the church. Unlike someone that treats the church as a gathering and fellowship. What does it look like for that? And I think I can sum it up. The, the easiest way that I can sum it up without giving a whole bunch of examples and taking another 20 minutes in this message is that if you are treating the church like it's supposed to be in fellowship as a gathering, then you will be deeply known and you will deeply know others. That's the, that's the best symptom I can give you as, to, as if you're really treating the church like you're supposed to. 
you would be living life among these believers. I mean, you're taking communion with them. You're doing baptisms with them. You're walking through life with them. You're helping them in their sanctification. They're helping you in your sanctification. You're all worshiping Christ together. You're in the lives with one another. You're serving the community together. That's what it means to, to do it together. All right, that was symptom one. These next ones are going to go pretty quick. Symptom two, you're the greatest Christian you've ever known. You're the greatest Christian you know. So people who individualize the church, they don't know a better Christian than them. Yeah, like they might have like celebrities that they think, oh, that person's awesome, right? But let's talk about like just people that you physically know, that you've met and you have conversations with. Like if you treat the church as an individual, you're the best Christian you know. At the end of the day, this person uh, is the only one that they're concerned about in the worldview. They don't seek mentors because they don't value mentors because they think they've got it figured out because they don't value those things that can only be found in community right it would require community to submit yourself to a mentor and you don't want that you want to individualize yourself you want to become an island you want to be your own house instead of just a brick and lord forbid you're one of the bricks on bottom where there's other bricks on top of you right all right so symptom two you're the greatest christian you know Symptom three, this last one for this, you lack disciples. You don't concern, I just, I'll read what I wrote. You don't concern yourself with making other disciples because the greatest person that needs Jesus has already been found, you. And if you're growing in your walk with Christ, all is right in the world because your walk with Christ is the most important walk with Christ. That sounds pretty harsh, right? None of us would... I would guess almost none of us would say that out loud. Like, yeah, I'm the most important Christian in the room. As long as I'm doing good, everything's good in the world. We may not say that out loud, but we sure will do those actions sometimes, won't we? I mean, I could go on and on, but I think this will suffice to show you that, that even though God has intended for us to, to walk with one another, we are typically more concerned with ourselves. But we gather, and we need to gather because God did intend it. And these last two points, real quick, last two points, not only did God intend it, but God models it himself. God models it. That's right. Like, we gather together, we are in community, because God himself has been and is in community. I'm just going to list three examples for you. If you really want to dive into this, find these scriptures. I'll send some to you, but here's the three quick examples. God is in community in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He refers to them as us, right? Let us make man in our image. We are baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God, in constant unity and community. That God himself is in himself in community. How about Jesus' ministry? Jesus went into a time and place in the world, and he discipled in a way that he lived with his disciples. He didn't own a house. He stayed in other people's houses. He ate at other people's tables. He was in community a drastic, large amount of the time. We see him going off by himself sometimes. But every time he goes off to the mountain, he prays, what does he do? He comes back into community. Jesus himself was in community all the time. And third, and uh, certainly important for our church right now, because we just started a series in Revelation on Sundays, heaven. Heaven, like the end goal of all of creation, the place we're heading towards, Right? The, the new heaven and earth is literally community. Literally fellowship coming together to worship the Lord together and be in his presence. 
Like all of creation is heading towards fellowship. If you need any more than that, let me know. But that's how we know God's in community because he literally designed the end times that everybody would be in community with him. And last point, we gather together because God uses it. God commands it, God intends it, God models it, and God uses it. And this is where we're wrapping up. If you look back at Hebrews 10 right there, Hebrews 10, 24, back to that verse we started with. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We learned in that passage that the way to stir up each other for love and good works is to be in fellowship, right? To not neglect meeting together. Well, what does love mean there? Love is actually the foundation of of the greatest commandment we've been given, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. How do we consider stirring somebody up to love, which is part of the greatest commandment ever? We don't neglect to meet one another. And then good works. What does good works mean? Well, if scripture definition, good works are God works. Good works are works that glorify God. They're works of God and works for God. Good works are God works. And what is it saying? How can we make sure we're stirring one another up to do God works, to do good works? To not neglect to meet one another. So why should we want to gather? Because God uses it. He uses the gathering of us that we would fulfill the commandments of loving him and loving one another and to do his work in the world. That's what loving good works means. Like I said, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know... Y'all are here tonight when it's cold and it's hard and it's out of routine. So I do pray that there's parts of this that are like, yeah, that's me. I could definitely work on that. I pray there's some of you that are like, oh, man, I thought I was doing really good. And now I realize I need to go even deeper into the church. Like, I need to be known. And I pray for some of you, you were looking through these scriptures and you're like, cool. That's good. Thanks, man. Right? That I know there's all of us in that, in that place in different areas. So, all right, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your church. Thank you that you've designed us to be in fellowship and community. I pray, Father, that you would help us understand how to be in community better. Lord, help us not to individualize our faith, but to see that you meant for us to be together, that we are a brick unto ourselves, but you build us into a house, Lord. I couldn't say everything I wanted to. Couldn't go through every scripture that would be beneficial to this message, but you know, Lord, Your spirit knows and you can speak to us in all these ways that only you can. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.